Welcome to God's Love Revealed Podcast. I'm Ellie Caswell, along with my co-host Jeff Williamson, who is a licensed professional counselor with a master's degree in marriage, family, and child therapy from Fuller Theological Seminary. He's been in practice for over 20 years and specializes in intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy. It's our hope to reveal the truth, life, and freedom of God's love manifested through Jesus Christ. Psychological, emotional, and spiritual freedom is possible through the love of Christ. I've been meditating on eternal identity and what that really means. Um, Let's use Jesus and the disciples with the boats, see if I can paint a picture to kind of what I mean. All right, so... Jesus is on the boat at uh, that one time with the disciples, and the wind and waves are coming, right? And he's sleeping. And Jesus, wake up. Jesus, wake up. We're in trouble. The wind and waves are going to get us, right? And Mm -hmm. Jesus gets up and rebukes them and stands up and says, you know, where is your faith? Don't you know who is here with you? Mm. Okay. So there is, I believe, a typical thing that we do as a believer. You know, we have this certain mentality is where is Jesus when I'm in trouble, what, you know, is he here with me? Okay. Let me give a different example of the way we could think about it though. The disciples are in the boat and Jesus is walking on water. And then he tells Peter to come out to him. And Peter, you know, looks at him, looks him in the eyes and starts walking on water. And I would argue that that closeness itself in Jesus' eyes is what's making that miracle happen, okay? And the wind and the waves are there, and Peter starts looking at them, and then he starts to sink, okay? Two different pictures. I, what I want to put forward here today is the way, the much better way to think about the wind and the waves and the troubled life is the second example, where Peter actually leaves the boat altogether to go out to where Jesus is, then the way we tend to think about it is we're on the boat and then, you know, we want Jesus to be on the boat with us. Okay. So that's kind of the sort of foundational um, picture I want to paint. And I want to make a case of why going out onto the water in his eyes is the better way to think about things. It's also a picture of an eternal identity versus a temporal identity. I like that second example you gave because it's showing a it's showing the disciples having to take an initiative to towards Jesus, uh-huh. right? right? And to truly trust him and um to trust him more than the waves, the water. And the first example, it's just their fear is overwhelming them. Mm-hmm. And going to Jesus, like, why, why are you? Why aren't you helping us? Why aren't you awake? Why aren't you doing anything? Instead of just taking that step off the boat towards him, looking in his eyes like you're saying. Exactly. And in the first one, we're on the boat, they're kind of ordering him. They're kind of in their panic and their fear, like you're saying. They're sort of dictating Jesus, we need you to, you know, help us, we're sinking, right? In the second one, everything's on Jesus' terms. 
when Peter goes out there, there's nothing in the human sense that he could relate with, right? I mean, he's walking on water, Mm -hmm. okay? So you could say eternity has broken in because it's defying physics, it's defying everything. Everything in that moment is on God's terms. The point I'm trying to make is this. When we hang on to a temporal mentality, which I'm going to picture as staying in the boat, we tend to tell God what we need in the boat, in Mm. the temporal reality, Mm. okay? And I think it's short-sighted because even our identity is temporal in that mindset. Like, it's a sort of psychological, physical mentality, right? I'm on this boat. It's going to sink, When you go out onto the water, as Peter did, okay, you can't really call that a psychological identity anymore. Hmm. You would almost have to call that an eternal identity because that doesn't make sense in this world, in that realm. Right, it's faith. Yes. It's faith that's letting him or causing him to do that. And it's closeness because it was when Peter looked away from his eyes that he started to sink. So, when he stayed eye to eye, see, when he started looking left and right to the wind and the waves, and he looked at the problems of life, okay, is where he started to sink. He started doing it in his own strength. See, when we stay on the boat, we can conveniently hang on to our self-reliance. We can conveniently hang on to our understanding. But when you walk out on the water, by definition, you're giving it up. No one can walk on the water by themselves. And... Jesus isn't walking on the water by himself. He's with the Father. So the only way that uh, Peter can pull that off is by relying completely on Jesus. Do you see what I mean? Like Jesus is replacing self-reliance itself. Hmm. I have to give up the self-reliance that makes me die as I rely on Jesus fully. I mean, everything you're saying is so good. And it just resonates with me. And, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, okay, so how do I do that? Like, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to just rely solely on Jesus. But, you know, his disciples in that moment, they were, he was, Jesus was actually physically there. Mm-hmm. And... I know it takes more faith for us now right. to stay with him and stay with his eyes. So is that just like a prayer in your head or like how do you how do you actually do that? That's a great question because that's at the heart of the matter of this um, podcast today. Um, your question gets to the interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well. Okay. Um, In John chapter 4, starting at verse 20, the woman asks of Jesus or states, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Okay, so it's not about imagery. Any of us can picture being Peter in that moment. It's not hard to picture. When we picture being Peter and looking into his eyes, we are worshiping in spirit and truth. Okay, my argument that I want to put forward today is when we picture ourselves in the role of Peter and we look at Jesus and we're standing on the water and we train ourselves not to look left, not to look right, not to look at the wind and the waves, that we're trusting our shepherd, that he is the one who, one, is protecting us from the wind and the waves. We could say um, like um, his imagery of shepherd to the sheep, right? If the wind and waves represent danger, then I want to be as close to the shepherd as possible. Let's use another dynamic he puts forward, um, groom and bride. Well, it's that love here, if, if I'm in the role of Peter, I'm the bride, right? It's that love who tells me who I am. And out there, outside the boat, clearly that's an eternal understanding of myself, not just a psychological one that would be in the boat. If I think branch to vine. Okay, if I'm the branch out there on the water and he's the vine, then all my talents and abilities are going to come through me naturally. The fruit is going to come forward on the branch just by being close to him. So we could say, you know, Peter had no idea, did he, that he could walk on water. I'm being kind of silly. But the truth of it is we don't know the talents and abilities that are within us. The better way to see the talents and abilities, God gave some 10 five, one, okay, is to be in his presence. Well, what else is there to what it means to be human? We know our talents and abilities are fruit by being in his eyes. We know who we are by being in his eyes, and we're protected from dangers by being in his eyes. There's no better place to be. My argument is if we go out onto that water, just as Peter did, we can do it in spirit and truth. There's no reason we can't. You will feel a peace that transcends understanding. You are being scriptural. As Jesus said, the true worshipers of God are going to be in spirit and truth. Okay? And you will feel a freedom from all that comes with being in the boat. Because that's where our shame and guilt live. That's where our heavy psychology is. It's by staying in the boat. That's where our fear is. So as we come out of the boat, in a way we could say it's like Adam and Eve coming out of the bushes, as we come to God on his terms, we're liberated. Jesus came to set the captives free. See, if we would accept his terms, we could give a testimony. I am giving this testimony right now. Literally. Jeff on the boat boat is dead man walking. I have no idea who I am. But Jeff out on the water, no boasting in himself. Jeff out on the water, looking into the eyes of his Savior, feels protected. He's free. He knows who he is eternally. Okay? And his talents and abilities naturally come through because he's not doing it in his own strength. Also, we could call that commandment one, as I abide in his eyes with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength out on the water, I can turn around, see, and say to others on the boat, hey, come this way, like I'm doing right now. 
I'm saying, hey, come this way. Come out here, right? If Peter stayed with Jesus, he could turn around to the disciples in the boat and say, hey, you guys, come out here. Well, that's a big deal because they're watching him walk on water. Well, they're not going to be as scared. I love that. And I feel like it emboldens me to want to follow him out onto the water, knowing that, you know, I have a daughter and she's watching me. I would much rather her watch me do something where she would, where she might question, Mm. like, oh, are you sure you know what you're doing? Mm. Like, that seems kind of risky or that seems kind of dangerous or that doesn't seem very safe or I don't really understand it. Then for me to do something where it's like, oh, my mom's just, she just has anxiety or she just has fear that's, you know, inhibiting her from being who she is. Like, isn't that what you're really saying? Like, if your daughter saw you in the boat, scared and, you know, Jesus. Yeah, and that's not really, and she'd be like, that's not really my mom. Like, I don't really even know that. So why are you letting those emotions take over that's right. how you're feeling instead of like, instead of taking that responsibility and taking that step that draws me closer to him and ultimately it's what I want I would want her to do as well so like that's my responsibility as a mom too that's right I love what you're saying because we have Jesus on the boat who stands up and calms the wind and the waves right it's very dramatic it's incredible right but then we also have Jesus where he's standing on the water itself as Peter comes out. Which knowing of Jesus is more dramatic? I mean, they're both incredibly dramatic. But to your point, like, you out on the water with him, defying physics itself, not that him calming the wind and the waves from the boat isn't, but you get what I mean. And it also makes me just think of, I can't ever truly know my daughter if I'm just on that boat, crippled by my fear, my anxiety, or whatever it is. Right. And so it's like, a, it's also a motivation for me in that way. Like, I can never have a real, meaningful dynamic with anyone if I'm not actively taking a step towards him and off of that boat onto the water. That's right. And your daughter, to your point, can't really know herself because she's not really going to know herself. No. Just psychologically. None of us, because we're we're spirit, soul, and body. So, like, we have to know who we are in Christ. We have to be spiritually alive. Here, you know, if you can be on the boat and you're saved, I'm not saying you can't be saved, but if you want to be set apart, if you want to be in that process of sanctification, you must uh, walk out there in faith. Yeah, I love that point of sanctification. Because a lot of times, I think we we use that as like an excuse to, we use it as an excuse to try to manage different roles in yes. our lives. Like, oh, myself as a wife or myself as a mom or, you know, in my church, in my marriage, instead of, instead of something that's actually simple, but the most powerful, which is just, what is my dynamic with Christ? What is my relationship to Him? 
How do I love him? What am I willing to give up? Yes. Just to be close to him. Yes. Instead of saying, oh, I'm going through this really hard time and this hard situation is just going to make me closer to him. Or, right. you know, this trial is going to make me closer to him. Why can't it be just your love for him yes. is going to make you closer to him Amen. and make you more like him? And abiding in him. I love what you're saying. You know, we give credit to the wind and the waves to sanctify us. We give mm-hmm. credit to the boat and our, you know, yeah. cleaning up the boat. No, let's give credit to Jesus Christ. You know, it makes me fired up. Like Paul saying, you foolish Galatians, you know, can you really sanctify yourself when you were unable to save yourself? Like, really, person? You're going to sanctify yourself Yeah, on the it's boat? almost kind of like a cop-out yes. for, like, avoiding vulnerability, really, with anyone, especially him. Like, Absolutely. we want to get all up in our head and, like, make sense out of it and try to explain it or, you know... And then you're kind of giving credit to the person, like, oh, they went through such a hard time, and look at where they're at. You know, just this verse kind of popped up in my mind. Um, Suffering creates perseverance, and perseverance, what is it? I don't know. Yes, uh, suffering leads to perseverance, perseverance to character. Character to hope. Hope. So it's like, okay, well, where does the suffering then fit in? That's what people always say, like, the suffering is what? creates the sanctification it makes us more like him well the suffer i mean it's a matter of opinion i suppose but if jesus says you're going to have troubles in this world if we want to say that the suffering is simply what occurs on the boat i guess somebody could say that but i don't look at it that way to me i look at it as the suffering is leaving the boat because now people go where are you going what are you doing you're going out in faith You know, the suffering is walking with God. That's the suffering that Jesus had. The suffering that Jesus had is because Mm -hmm. he walked with God. That perseverance leads to character. Whose character? Our own? Really? We're going to read that as our character development on a boat? No, we're being transformed into the character of Jesus. What was the character of Jesus? He walked with the Father. He persevered in that walk no matter what. So, our character is not being transformed in some better character on the boat. It is being transformed into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ, which gives us hope. Because our citizenship, our identity is eternal, not temporal. And I I remember something that's always stayed with me that you've said. It's like not about what we're doing in any role um, in our life. It's our location and where we're at, whether that's like the image of the dance floor or being with him on the water. And that's just been so helpful to me because I could get so caught up in like, well, how am I as a mom? How, well, how am I doing? Am I doing all the right things? How am I as a wife? Questioning all of my motives, questioning all my actions, all my words, when all that I really need to remember is, okay, where am I with Jesus? Am I close to Him? Am I connected with Him? And trusting my desire and my love for Him over my own capability of doing the right thing in a moment with another person. Absolutely. Well said. You know, let's, for a moment, let's go all the way to heaven for a second. You know, we're out of this temporal realm. 
and we're there with Jesus in eternity. It's not hard to picture, okay? And and we'll all be debriefed and we'll be like, wow, that was a nightmare, you know, down there. Well, you're only going to give two testimonies when it comes to sanctification. One is you stayed in the boat, convincing yourself that that's what God wanted, or you got out into the water and you looked into his eyes and found who you were. There's only going to be two testimonies when it's all said and done. And back to your question about the suffering. I mean, we're all going to say there was suffering in that realm. It was fallen, either our own or other people's. So when it's all said and done, when it comes to sanctification, you either stayed in the boat and justified it, or you got got out onto the water. So when we're in eternity, okay, which self is going to be the one that goes on? The one that stayed in the boat? Hmm. Or the one that was out on the water. Mm. You get what I mean? Mm -hmm. That self, that eternal self is the one that's out there in Christ. Because when we're in eternity, who are we going to be with? The only difference is it's going to be solid ground, not water. Because Mm -hmm. here it's called faith. And there it's called, uh, you know, love, love, right? We, We, Yes, exactly. To this point, let's read Ephesians 2. Uh, starting in verse 4, okay, verse 4 through 6, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, we're one with Christ. You know, whether Jesus is out on the water in his incarnate self, he's in this world, but not of it. Jesus is seated in heavenly places and our spirit is bound with Jesus. Our eternal self, we could go to heaven and look in his eyes and that solid rock and that love, or we could be here looking in the incarnate Jesus's eyes. That's our real self. Mm. Okay, that's the one that's going to go on. Of course, our testimony, like I said, is going to matter of, you know, that he brought me from death to life. Yeah, and and that's also cool to think of in the sense of when I talk to other people or when I talk to my child, you can tell pretty quickly which self you're talking to. Are you talking to like this mm-hmm. temporal self, like so caught up in this world, so caught up in, you know, their problems or um, overanalyzing things, overthinking things, or are you talking to their eternal self? And I'm still, mm-hmm. you know, trying to make, uh, trying to always yes. catch that difference. Yes. But because I want to catch it myself too, I'm like, which self am I right now? Yes. Like, am I just this earthly, fearful, neurotic, anxious self um, or try or pleasing, trying to just like please God and always do like the right thing? Or am I my eternal self, which is a peace and feeling connected to my feelings yes. and uh, connected to him? Yes. I'm going to give another scripture here, but then I want to, you just by just what you said, you made me just think of a, a great parable. But first, let me give um, Philippians 3, verse 20 uh, through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, 
And from it, we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but listen really closely. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await our Savior. Mm -hmm. See, we await our Savior from heaven, Mm -hmm. from our heavenly citizenship. Mm -hmm. But what you just said to me is just so profound. It makes me think of the uh, parable of the sower and the seed. Here I'm in Matthew chapter 13, starting verse 18, where Jesus explains the parable of the sower and the seed. Verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. So to your point right there, which is more of an issue of sanctification, is isn't he saying that unless you give up the boat, okay, with your constant worrying about the concerns of this world, which comes with the boat, and go out there, you know, you leave the field for the field of great price, right? You go out to where Jesus is walking on water. That's where the branch is connected to the vine. That's where you bear fruit. Right. And then the part where it says, the one who hears his word and understands it, it's not meaning, okay, how like theological can we get about this? Or yes. how can we pick this apart and right. like, apply it to our lives? Because the word is simple. It's simple enough for a child to understand. Yes. I always, I say, love that. I always think that that's so profound. But it's so profound. And it's so, it is simple. It's like just hearing it and understanding it and let it resonate with you. Not how can we create complexity on the boat? Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because again, I love what you're saying. Like if Jesus, again, we'll go back to this. If Jesus is on the water says, hey, come kid, walk on water with me. What is that child going to do? Like okay, okay. <laughs> what? Not, not like oh well. What this? What does this mean for, you know, the boat? Yeah, the boat and my identity. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give another um, passage here. Um, John chapter 17, verse one through three. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, "Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you." Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom he has given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. You know, Jesus came to give us not just life, but eternal life. He came that we would cry out 
in adoption as sons and daughters, Abba, Father, that we have an eternal citizenship in heaven. You know, he came for way more than just helping us in the turmoils of this life. He came for way more than um, dealing with the suffering that comes with being on the boat, which is just meaning that we're in fallen reality. That's all that really means. No, the perseverance, the enduring past the worries and concerns of the world takes your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and perseverance till you go out there, meet him in his eyes, and your character is not transformed into some kind of psychological improvement on a boat. It is being transformed as you are in the presence of the one who made you. So, what do you think, people? If Jesus is in this world but not of it, if Jesus is on the water, if Jesus is in the garden beckoning us back, if Jesus is in heaven calling us home, do you not think that the wise thing would be to consider this all rubbish, to give it all up, to give up these false identities and go out there, meet him in the eyes and be known as you become knowable to him. Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast to be insightful, please subscribe to our show and share with someone who would enjoy listening. And we look forward to meeting here with you again soon.